figure. It's now turning 420, and how appropriate, as this is Fried Squirms, and I'm Tyler. And I'm still Danny. And here we have episode 89, focusing on 88s. Serpent in the Rainbow. I know, right? <laughs> so yeah, there's going to be a lot of 8s in this. Yeah. And before we get into talking about voodoo zombies, I mean, I'm just going to say it up front, it's voodoo zombies. That's part of the premise. So. Yeah, I mean... Voodoo zombie. This uh, movie's 30 years old. How was your week? It's pretty good. I know both of us have been to shows this week. I went Wednesday night, this past Wednesday that is, and saw Rodrigo and Gabriella at the Wilma. Got a set list, and then I was telling you because it was like kind of a big deal for some of us, but they were actually in our store, so I got to meet them during oh, my yeah. lunch hour. I, uh, I did end up, after they got done eating, they came back through and shopped some, so I did get to see them. Yeah, so it was really cool. It was kind of one of those things where I'd been following this band for a while, finally got to see them, and then happenstance is they happened to be in Missoula because they had the day off, and yeah, they stopped in, and it's like, damn, that was pretty cool. Let's see, last night I went to uh, Dropkick Murphy's Flogging Molly and uh, Jake Burns from uh, Stiff Little Fingers, and it was a really good show. I had a really good time. I was telling you that I kind of wish that the set order had been flipped for uh, Flogging Molly and Dropkick Murphy's. Not that Dropkick Murphy's did a bad job, but I felt like Flogging Molly put on an exceptional set that just was mind-blowing. And it would have been a more fun way, I think, to end off the concert. Yeah. And that happens on occasion, you know, where bands, they're kind of out of order, so to speak. And nothing against... No, exactly. They put on an amazing show as well, but I kind of, like, Flogging Molly brought it. Yeah, I mean, sometimes the energy is a little different depending on the bands that night, so it's quite understandable. Although I do wish I would have been... I was up on the grass because I was really late getting my tickets. At least you got there. It was sold out. Exactly. I normally prefer being down in the pit. And I would have preferred to be in the Dropkick Murphys pit nice. rather than Ton the love Molly pit. So. <laughs> <laughs> That's understandable, dude. Well, I've been to the venue. It's a really cool place. If you're here in Missoula, check out both venues. It's the Wilma and the Kettle House yeah, the on the River. Yeah, the Theater is fucking dope. Yeah. No, yeah, I had a really good time. This is the part where I must admit that that show and just the sort of schedule for the weekend because of the show meant that I only got to watch this movie once, whereas I normally get to watch it twice. So hopefully, like, memories are going to come flooding back a little bit as we start talking about the movie. I didn't even get to take notes on it, but that's not to say I'm not without notes. I did get a chance to do a little bit of other research, so I'll be bringing that to the table, I suppose. Well, fun. Yeah, outside of that, I mean, as far as our personal information, I guess we can start sharing some news in terms of the horror world, so unfortunately we did have a passing, and that was Al Matthews who plays Sergeant Epone from Aliens. I saw that. Yeah, he has passed away at age 75, and he has some pretty memorable lines and quotable lines from Aliens, but for those who are not familiar with his role in that, you might have also seen him in Superman Part 3, The Fifth Element, or Tomorrow Never Dies. So, you know, he's graced the film, the silver screen, several times, and unfortunately he's one of these people that, as time goes by... We'll talk yeah. about passings. Sucks, but did you see that Mancini does not like the Chucky redesign? I didn't really read anything about it. I've been seeing a couple of different articles Ooh, concerning the child's I, play. I'm not sold on it. I saw the image that he was commenting on. I'm not sold. I don't think it's terrible, but I don't know. I guess you'll have to look it up yourself to see what you think. I'm hesitant, but I do like some of the cast members and shit involved, so I really kind of hope it works for him, but... 
Yeah, we know how reboots and shit tend mm-hmm. to go. So I'm kind of on the fence, too. It's like, you know, I'll check it out. I'm not one to you know, snide a film just because of people's remarks. It's like, I'll check it out, make my own opinions on it. So we'll see. Shit, that's about all I have that's horror-related, though. I feel really bad because nah, I have, man. for the past six months, I've been, like, making people watch the Mandy trailer. And now that it's out, I still haven't watched it. So I'm hoping to rectify that tonight. Well, nice. But I still haven't gotten around to it. I feel kind of bad. That's my biggest news from the week. <laughs> yeah, I think I'm still going to hold out and try to check it out at the Roxy when it comes out. But there's a few other bits of news I saw that was worth mentioning. One of them being that Tom Savini's Night of the Living Dead, which was released in 1990. which I really like that version. It's a really good one. So anyhow, it's finally getting a non-limited Blu-ray release. And that's going to be released by Sony Pictures. And look for it on October 23rd. So... You can also pre-order the film's soundtrack on vinyl if you're an audiophile. That's coming out pretty soon. There's also an unrated version of the Evil Dead remake, which is finally coming to U.S. Blu-ray in October. It's one of those where, you know, we just (laughs) kind of talked about reboots and remakes. Those are one of the rare ones that are really fucking good. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so... It looks like this one's going to get a two-disc release. There's an unrated version, and then you get the R-rated version, and the R-rated version comes with several things like the Making Life Difficult featurette, there's a Directing the Dead featurette, being Mia featurette, and the Unleashing the Evil Force featurette. So look for that on October 23rd as well. And lastly, what I have is FX is bringing What We Do in the Shadows TV series to the New York Comic Con in October. Oh, And it's getting a fall 2019 premiere. That is its plan. So for people who are fans of the film, we are going to get treated to a TV series. Now, I'm not 100% on this, but I'm pretty sure I read that the characters in the show aren't the same vampires from the movie. Yeah, I'm not quite sure of all the details, but... But I'm still, I mean, the creative forces behind it, yeah, the dude. premise, like, I'm down. I'm so down. So that movie is fantastic. Yeah, I'm pretty excited about that. So it is getting screened on Sunday, October the 7th. So if you're in and or around New York, it'll be premiering at the Hammerstein Ballroom. So check it out. But outside of that, man, that's about really all I've got for the week in terms of the news. Yeah, I think we're probably just going to have to get into... The guts and bolts of this business here. I'm ready. and bolts serpent in the rainbow if you've never listened to us before and hopefully you're jumping on because you know wes craven directed this which you know that tends to bring people in yeah throwing it's a wes big craven draw. name on there this is the part where we kind of go spoiler free as best we can i think every once in a while we probably let one slip but and sort of talk about who and what went into the movie and in some cases like some of the information i'm going to bring today Sort of how this movie fits into the horror landscape, or at least how things in the movie fit into the horror landscape, in this case of voodoo zombies. Yeah, man. So before we get into the people who go into making the film, we'll give you a little bit of a synopsis, so that way at least you get an idea of what you're getting yourself into. 
loosely based on a novel of the same name of the same name from anthropologist wade davis right i got the name right wade yeah it's wade davis okay wade davis goes to haiti to try to find the secrets of zombie powder to help in a medical way and make money off it essentially at least that's what one of his bosses is going for yeah i mean that's the simple the very simple way of looking at it but yeah i mean it's of course when he gets to haiti (laughs) he gets involved with both black magic Mm -hmm. voodoo although the darker side of voodoo oh yeah and the political situation going on at the time with baby doc duvalier exactly so yeah there's some interesting social commentaries that go into this film so it's much bigger than just the film itself But yeah, it's a good brief synopsis, and we like to segue into talking about the people who helped make the film. So these are the people behind the screen. So we'll lead off, we've already talked about the fact that it was directed by Wes Craven. Now, I was thinking about how many times we've covered his films, and that's not including time. Yeah, it's not including the ones he's helped produce or present or, you know, helped write on. This is the fifth one that he's actually directed that we're reviewing today. So the other ones that we have done... We've done The Hills of Eyes. We covered, with our slasher run, we did A Nightmare on Elm Street. We did Scream. We did The People Under the Stairs. He presented Wishmaster last week. And today, we're getting to talk about him again. So some of those films I've already mentioned before. If you're not familiar with those... Eventually, we're going to run out of Westward Craven flicks, and we're going to have to bring you, like, Mr. Holland's opus. (laughs) Oh, my God. (laughs) Sometimes. Sometimes. But one of the ones that really kind of cemented the way I looked at him, I mean, I've always known him as the director of Scream and A Nightmare on Elm Street, but when I finally got to see The Last House on the Left, the original, I was like, wow. That one kind of knocked my socks off. I know, which I think, I mean, like you you said, we've already hit Wes Craven like five times just as a director. (laughs) So we're probably going to try to lay off a little bit just to, you know, save something yeah i know what you mean but we have to get to last house on the left because it is an amazing flick so i totally agree so and i have to find out if it's still one of my favorite wes craven flicks good point especially since our hills have eyes episode sort of uh it didn't age as well for me yeah i mean it's one of those two it's kind of a hit or miss i still enjoy it i mean i still enjoy it i know what you mean it is a little dated which we've even talked about the fact that its remake is really fucking good. Brutal shit. Yeah. So, you know, for Ooh, those... No, we're going to talk about that, Yeah, too. you can't help it, but... Yeah, it's just one of those few, and because of his weight in the horror community, it's like you can't help but talk about him at some point or another. Without getting into how it made me squeal too much, just mm-hmm. because we're talking about the fact that we have done quite a few of his movies, I do have to say that I think this is one of the lesser Craven flicks. And that's not to say that this is a bad movie, right? but when you're ranking it against some of his others... Well, I can understand why, too. I think it's one of those that's... If you're ranking this against Scream, I yeah. mean, come on. I, I know what you're saying. They're different genres, but... Completely different styles. It's almost easy to forget the fact that he did direct this film, you know? And that's, like I said, nothing taken away from this film. It's just a different direction altogether. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I mean, you know, we're talking about Wes Craven. We should talk about people that helped with this as well and there's a few writers you've already mentioned wade davis it was inspired by his book of the same name we do have two gentlemen the first one is richard maxwell he's done such works as the challenge shadow of china which was another movie and he's done several television series so that's kind of what he's known for and his partner on this was a r simone but his name is adam rodman 
And you might be familiar with his work if you're familiar with the Fame television series from 1984. Fame! Yeah. <laughs> He helped with the Vietnam War story. That was another television. It was a miniseries from 1988. He's helped also with the TV movie, Unforgivable, which, when I looked at it, has John Ritter, who we've covered. Well, not yet. Not yet. Not yet. And the actress that was in Arachnophobia, believe it or not, she was in that TV movie as well. So I was like, you know, I might as well write that down because this is two people we've already kind of talked about. All right, now our cinematographer on this Somewhat of a big name. This is John Lindley. He's done such films as A Field of Dreams, which if you're a baseball fan, great movie. If you want a movie that can bring most grown men to tears. Yeah, yeah. Build it, and I will come. (laughs) (laughs) He was also the cinematographer on such films as Sleeping with the Enemy, which is not a bad film. He's done a few comedies, such things as Father of the Bride. You might have seen a film called Sneakers with Robert Redford. He was also the cinematographer on the film The Good Son, which I highly recommend. Uh, You're skipping past his work of genius. 2005's Bewitched. Oh, I'm getting on to that. With Will Ferrell, Nicole Kidman, and fucking Steve Carell's Uncle Arthur. Yeah, it's a good film. (laughs) I love Steve Carell's Uncle Arthur. Why can't I say uncle? It's fucked up. Anyway. (laughs) T.O. But no, he's also been the cinematographer in such films as Money Train, the film Michael, The Sum of All Fears. You mentioned Bewitched. He's also the cinematographer on the film Legion and St. Vincent. My dad loves Michael. It's weird. Yeah, it's uh, it's not a bad film. I won't say I love it, but it's not bad. (laughs) Our editor on this is Glenn Farr. He's done editing on such films as The Right Stuff, Runaway, which is not a bad film. Commando. I mentioned Ooh, this last I like week. Commando. That's a good movie. <laughs> I mentioned this last week because of Jennifer Connelly, but he was the editor on Career Opportunities. He was also the editor on Out on a Limb, Aquila and the Bee, The Rome, the television series from 2005, and more recently, The Mentalist television series from 2008 through 2012. Now, the music on this is Brad Fadell. He's a pretty interesting name. And I'll mention it last. Let me mention a few of his credits first. So you might have heard his music on such films as The Accused. He helped with the television series Midnight Caller from 1989 through 1991. The Real McCoy, True Lies, Johnny Mnemonic, Iron Monkey 2, Terminator, The Sarah Connor Chronicles, which was the television show from 2008. He was also the keyboardist for Hall and Oates. Oh, that's where he got his start. God damn. Yeah, I was like, damn. Jesus. Yeah, he's got some pretty cool credits. too. That's what I'm saying. He's pretty much known for, like, those compositions, those scores for those films. Yeah. (laughs) They're they're good, man. They're memorable. I love the Terminator movies. Super synth-heavy. Oh, yeah. Really good times. All right, so our special effects teams on this were Colossal Pictures. They help with these special visual effects. Image Engineering, they help with these special mechanical effects. And USFX, they help with the special visual effects as well. Produced by Keith Barish, which he was an executive producer on this, along with Doug Claiborne, Rob Cohen, and David Ladd. Production company was Universal Pictures. They were also one of the distributors. They helped with the 1988 USA theatrical release and United International Pictures, also known as UIP. They helped with the 1988 UK theatrical release. It had a release date here in the States on February 5th, 1988. Its estimated budget was $7 million. Opening weekend, it 
made 5.8 million and it grossed 19.6 million dollars. So not a bad return on its investment. No. All right, I have a tagline and that is Ooh, okay, I'm curious. Don't bury me. I'm not dead. Okay, I'm I, not dead, damn it. I dig that, especially how it sort of almost pertains <laughs> to the most stressful scene in the movie yeah, possibly. No doubt. So Totally agree. All right, so that's the people that helped make the film, and these are the people that were in front of the screen. Have you ever ran into this thing where Bill Pullman and Bill Paxton get confused a lot? I can see that because they're both Bills and they both have the P. It's this weird <laughs> phenomenon. Like it's been even been made fun of in like Parks and Rec and stuff. But I think it's funny to bring up because behind the scenes, us doing this movie this week came down to a coin toss. It really did. And it was a coin toss between <laughs> a movie fronted by Bill Pullman. And a movie fronted by Bill Paxton. Isn't that funny? <laughs> that wasn't our intention, but that's the way it played out. Yeah. That's a real thing. People mix those two up all the time. I can understand. I don't get it. I understand it, I yeah. guess, but don't get it. But no, I mean, after watching several of these gentlemen's films, like, I can distinguish. I mean, we can distinguish mm-hmm. both of them apart. But for those who are maybe not as And they both kind of hit bigger around the same time. And, like, I get it. They're yeah. both Bill. Exactly. They both have the P's in their last name. But, I mean, I would hope after a certain point you would recognize the difference. Yeah, yeah. I mean, so today we're going to go with some Bill Pullman. Yes, and I like Bill Pullman. There's a really good Mel Brooks film. I was about to say fucking Spaceballs all the way. Dude, yeah, Spaceballs. Independence Day. Casper. Yeah, Casper. I think of him... uh, Placid, which I went and saw in theaters. It's not a bad film. There's a movie called Ruthless People because of Danny DeVito and a few others I remember him from. He was also in such films as Brain Dead, which is a pretty decent little B-horror film. He was in the film Newsies. You might have seen him in A League of Their Own, another baseball film. I fucking love A League of Their Own. Yeah. He was in Wyatt Earp. You've already mentioned Casper and Independence Day. I'm a big David Lynch fan, and we've mentioned him several times because... Bill Pullman was in the film Lost Highway. He was also in Titan A.E., a little indie film called Igby Goes Down. You might have seen him in the American version of The Grudge. And there's a pretty decent, another little indie film called The Killer Inside Me that he was in as well. And he's also been in several television series. Now, the actress that I have on this is Kathy Tyson. She plays Marielle Duchamp in this film. You might have seen her in such films as Mona Lisa. She was in the film Priest, and I have two others. She was in The Old Man Who Read Love Stories and a film called Mob Handed. Now, an actor I have on this is a pretty interesting gentleman. His name is Zakes McKay. He plays Darjean Petro. And this Ooh. is a South African actor, and he's been in such things as uh, Cry Freedom, Gross Anatomy, which is a pretty decent film. Vampire in Brooklyn. Yeah, he was in Body Parts. There was a film I mentioned, Dust Devil. Which, man, I'm kind of curious about that one. He was also in the films Outbreak, a film I know you like a lot, Waterworld. That's right. Oh, I do like Waterworld quite a bit. <laughs> yeah, dude. Two television shows I used to watch. One was The X-Files. He made an, an appearance in an episode in 1996. And I believe he was in a few episodes of the HBO's Oz from 1998. Now, like I said, he's a pretty interesting gentleman. I'll talk about him a little bit later on because there's some pretty cool news to share. There's actually like a really big name I want to mention, but I want to reserve it because he's not in it for too long. But I want to get to him here in just a second. 
Okay. Right. I'm going to let you keep deciding the order. But okay. okay. So the next person I have on this is Paul Winfield. He plays Lucien Celine in this film. Now, you might be familiar with him because he was in such films as Star Trek Part Two: The Wrath of Khan. He was also in the Terminator movie. He was in the show 227. He was in that from 1989 through 1990. He was in the film Cliffhanger. He was in the live-action Dennis the Menace, the Walter Matthau one. I really like that one a lot. He was in an HBO made-for-TV movie with Michael J. White, but he was in the film Tyson because he played Don King. It's like, man, I really like that movie. It was fucking oh. good. He was in Mars Attacks. So, I mean, those are some of his film credits. He's got a lot of other credits I didn't mention, but those are the ones that kind of stood out to me. The next person I have is Brent well, Jennings. I'm just really, I'm realizing yeah. that I really should have recognized that guy. And Yeah, he's a pretty familiar face after you recognize some of his credits, mm-hmm. for sure. Yeah, so uh, the next person, like I said, I have is Brett Jennings. He plays Louis Mozart. He was in such things as Alone in the Dark, which is a 1980s slasher film. He was in the film Witness. You might have also seen him in the film Red Heat, Another 48 Hours. He was in the movie Life, which I really like, Eddie Murphy and Martin Lawrence. He was also in ER, the television series, from 97 through 2000. And more recently, in another baseball film, mind you, the movie Moneyball. So I was like, yeah, we're mentioning baseball kinda, a lot today. That kind of makes me want to <laughs> watch Moneyball, because he was pretty great in this movie. Yeah, he did a really good job. Big personality, for mm-hmm. sure. All right, so the next person I have is Conrad Roberts. He plays Christophe Duran in this film. He was in a, another Harrison Ford movie called The Mosquito Coast, which is really good. He was in the film Green Card. You might have seen him in the film The Hard Way. Uh, he was Scorpion King. Yeah. He was the Black Zorro in the film The Mask of Zorro. You might have seen him in Man on the Moon. He was in an episode of The X-Files in 1999 as well. Uh, the next person I have is Baja Jola. He plays Gaston in this film. You might have seen him in Mississippi Burning, An Innocent Man, A Rage in Harlem, The Last Boy Scout, which is a pretty decent film. Who's the Man? He was in an episode of The X-Files in 1995, and he was also in the film The Hurricane, which is pretty good. I like that film a lot. The next actress I have is Teresa Merritt. She plays Simone in this film. You might have seen her in the film The Wiz. That was a Michael Jackson film. I think... Joel Schumacher had something to do with it. I think he was like costume design on them. (laughs) Before he became a director, I believe he was costume design on The Wiz. I mean, that's not a bad credit to have. I wouldn't be ashamed of it. Which explains Batman and Robin. Oh, yeah. I think you're probably (laughs) right about that. That's funny. All right, now, Teresa was also in The Best Little Whorehouse in Texas. You know, we mentioned Burt Reynolds passed away. It's another one of those Burt Reynolds films. Pretty decent. I've always been disappointed in that movie because it's not what the name implies. No. <laughs> I know, right? Which Our... is funny considering who we're covering today. Yeah. <laughs> the other films I wanted to mention she was in were, you might have seen her in Billy Madison, and she was also in the film Home Fries. Now, this is the big name I wanted to mention because this person is Michael Goff. And for Ooh. those who are more familiar, you might recognize him as Alfred Pennyworth. When I think of Alfred, he's who I think of. In yeah. my mind, because he was Alfred in four of the movies. Yeah. Both of the Burtons and both of the Schumachers. I believe you're correct on that. Yeah. So, I mean, that was definitely one of those. It was like, oh, yeah. But 
He goes back a bit because he was in a lot of horror films, mm-hmm. most notably the Hammer horror films. So you start looking at a couple of those, and it starts off with films such as like Dracula from 1958. You go into the yeah, horrors of the Black Arthur Museum. Holmwood in that one. Yeah. He was in the film Conga. He was in the 1962 version of The Phantom of the Opera. You look at films such as The Corpse, Horror Hospital. He was also in Norman J. Warren's Satan's Slave. It says he also spoofed his horror persona in What a Carve-Up <laughs> as a sinister butler. He was in Val Kilmer's Top Secret, which that was Val as Kilmer's. Dr. Paul Flamond. Yeah, that was like his uh, feature film, which I, is interesting because not necessarily that this is Bill Pullman's feature film, but this was more or less like his lead. So it's kind of interesting. I just rewatched Top Secret like two weeks ago. It's a good film, I man. I fucking love that movie. Yeah. One of those that they don't make a lot of anymore. No. Kind of miss that. But he also guest starred in Doctor Who as the villain in The Celestial Toymaker in 1966. And he was also in Doctor Who Arc of Infinity in 83 as Counselor Hayden. Hayden. Yeah, it's pretty awesome. I was looking at some of the other ones, and it looked like he briefly retired in 1999 after he was in Tim Burton's Sleep Hollow. But it said he came out of retirement twice, both as a favor to Tim Burton because he helped voice Elder Goodnecht in The Corpse Bride and Dodo in Alice in Wonderland. So I was like, ah, oh, that's pretty cool. But yeah, unfortunately, of course, there's another person who passed away. He passed away on March 17th, 2011 in England. He was 94, so it wasn't like he was a young buck anymore. But yeah, pretty damn good actor throughout his career. Yeah. I've always enjoyed me some Michael Goff. Didn't know he was in this. Popped up. I was like, ooh, there we go. There's Alfred. Yeah. Oh, yeah. There he is. He kind of looks a little different without his glasses on. All right. So the next person that I And he was the boss that wasn't a dick. Yeah. He was really cool, man. Yeah. Paul Guilfoyle, talking about bosses who were dicks, (laughs) he plays Andrew Cassidy in this film. Now, he goes back a little bit. Not too far back, but some of the films I have are Howard the Duck, which I'm a big fan of. I know that one's uh, not everybody's favorite adaptation from comic. So He was also in Beverly Hill Cop Part 2. You might have seen him in Three Men and a Baby. He was in such films as Wall Street, Cadillac Man, the film True Colors. Mrs. Doubtfire. Yeah, he was in The Quiz Show. You might have seen him in the movie Striptease. He was also in L.A. Confidential, Air Force One, Amistad, and more recently, he's done all kinds of shit with the CSI television series. I was going to say, I mean, I remember seeing him in things growing up, like Amistad, actually. Yeah. I remember watching Amistad and a few of the other things we just named. But, I mean, he was Jim Brass for 317 episodes of That's CSI. Like, so. Anything that involves CSI, you've probably seen him in. All right, now, the woman who plays his wife in this film is played by Day Young. She was Deborah Cassidy in this. Now, she goes back a little bit. She was in the film Rock and Roll High School. You might have also seen her in Spaceballs. I believe she was a waitress in that film. She was also in such things as The Running Man, which we talked about Schwarzenegger, if you like those kind of films. She was in Pretty Woman. She was like the snotty sales clerk, something like that. Yeah. She was also in an episode of The X-Files in 1994. You might have seen her in the movie The Mod Squad. From 1999. Yeah. Wasn't that good. And another Wes Craven film. Red Eye. Oh, I dig Red Eye. <laughs> yeah, it's not a bad film, man. Yeah. I like Killian Murphy. Yeah. All right, now the next actor I have in this is William Newman. He is a very recognizable character actor. Now he plays the French missionary doctor. He goes back, and he, I wanted to write this one down because people have asked me about this, but he was in the horror film Squirm mm. because of our name. <laughs> 
You might have also seen him in the film Silver Bullet, which I'm a big fan of. He was also in The Mosquito Coast. You might have seen him in Monkey Shines, which is a Romero film. He was in the television series Erie, Indiana. He did an episode in 1992. He was in the film Leprechaun. He was also in Mrs. Doubtfire. You might have seen him in Polly Shore's Jury Duty. He was also in The Craft, really good witchcraft film. He was in For Love of the Game, and he was also in My Name is Earl, a television series. I believe it was in a, an episode or two in 2006. All right, now I've got two other people. I've got Francis Geenan. He plays the American Doctor in this film. He made a lot of appearances in the Erie, Indiana television series from 1991 through 1992. You might have seen him in Speed, Part 2, Cruise Control. He was in that 70s show as Kelso's dad from 1999. You might have seen him in the film Hannibal, Constantine. He was also in ER, the television series. I believe he was in an episode or two in 2007. He was also in The Last Airbender, and he also was on the Exorcist television series from 2016. Now, the last person I have is Aletta Mitchell. She plays Celestine in this. You might have seen her in The Equalizer from 1989. She was in the film Malcolm X. You might have also seen her in the film Midnight in the Garden of Good and Evil. Oh, shit. Okay. Yeah, so some of these credits were really cool. I've never actually seen Midnight in the Garden of Good and Evil, but I remember the trailer playing all the fucking time. Well, considering the time period, yeah. Yeah, Yeah, I know know exactly what you mean. But yeah, these are the people who went into making the film and who were in front of the screen, and we gave you a brief synopsis. Ooh, and now here's time for me to nerd out a little bit before we get to the warnings, because this is a movie where I actually get to talk about a little bit of like history shit and stuff that I actually researched, and nice. this just doesn't make as much sense for the how it made you squeal so much as like behind-the-scenes sort of things. So, we haven't really dug into voodoo zombies that much. No, we haven't, uh, really. We talked about voodoo a tiny bit with Chucky because of uh, Dimbalo Beto being brought up, right? It was exactly. I think so, yeah. Anyway, voodoo is invoked in Child's Play. So we talked about that a little bit. Yeah. But voodoo zombie is kind of where we get zombies. Kind of. Yeah. If you go back, I mean, zombies were reinvented to the way that we think of them now by like Romero and exactly. stuff early on. But he wouldn't have thought of zombies without it already being a part of the horror consciousness, going back to things like, oh, I know that there's examples before I'll White Zombies. Yeah, and I was going to say, I mean, there's zombie movies before, like White yeah. Zombie, but I mean, that goes back to what, like 35, I, I think? think so, yeah. So, I mean, it goes further back than Romero's. There's a few things that went into early zombies, stories and stuff from horror fiction at the time, including things like Lovecraft. One of the biggest influences was in the early 1900s, the United States occupied Haiti for a number of years. The soldiers that came back from that occupation came back with a bunch of creepy stories of shit that they ran into down there, would tell those stories that would get picked up in the pulp magazines. Yeah, that's pretty cool. Now, way later on, I've never actually read Serpent in the Rainbow. However, when I was having problems earlier today with my Serpent in the Rainbow download, that made it so that I didn't have enough time to actually watch the movie again. Mm-hmm. Thanks to the wonders of YouTube, I actually watched a couple interviews with Wade Davis and some of his actual thoughts behind what was found down there and the research that he did. Mm-hmm. And he's a really cool guy. 
Like, I think if I would have watched his interviews in, like, junior high, I probably would have grown up wanting to be an anthropologist. Yeah. He seemed really kind of neat in the way that... It's a really interesting study. That he talked about things. He doesn't really like this movie. That's not from one of the interviews I watched. That's just from some other reading that I did. Because he feels like it helps demonize voodoo and just all religions that sort of come out of sub-Saharan Africa. Right, right. Kind of what his point was with Serpent and the Rainbow, and a lot of the sort of studies of anthropology that he does, isn't whether different cultural beliefs are right or wrong in any way, but rather how they influence the way that people that believe in them interact with the world, and the priorities that they set based on those types of beliefs. Mm -hmm. So one of his main takeaways and goals was sort of to point out like, When you list all the major world religions, you think of, like, Christianity, Islam, Judaism. Yeah, the big three, exactly. um, Buddhism. Buddhism, Hinduism. Hinduism. All the things you think of ignore one big area, sub-Saharan Africa. And there's a long racist history of not thinking of the fact that although there was obviously many variations practiced across the different tribes of Africa... Most of the belief systems, and especially the ones that then traveled across to like Haiti, where it thrived with the slaves and stuff, are based in what we would consider to be the prime beliefs of voodoo or, you know, older variations of it once you get to Africa with like hoodoo and stuff. But there's still, you know, just like there's however many denominations of Christianity at this time. Exactly. And it's all under one big umbrella. He doesn't like that it's just not thought of as a belief system. And the other point that he made that he felt was sensationalized by the media and that this movie didn't help is that his takeaway from his experience and some of the things that he found, even though some of the substances he found were later proven to be inert, some of the psychoactive substances, the samples he provided wouldn't have actually done anything, was that zombies exist... They just don't exist in a way that makes sense to our cultural worldview. And that you have to view things through the ideas of the believers in the region, where that's all they've known. You grow up from the time you can start thinking cognizant thoughts, believing in zombies, knowing how they're made, knowing why they're made, especially because there is... Apparently some of the original use of zombifying somebody was basically as an alternative to a death sentence for like criminals and wrongdoers to society. So it had like a legitimate place within a voodoo-based society. If that's all you ever knew, even if all the samples that he provided of the zombie powder were inert, the basis behind what the pufferfish venom can do, that's documented. For fish's venom, the way it works is by blocking the sodium channels in your nerves, which bring on paralysis and lowering of all your vital signs to the point where it can pass as death. Normally, though, they then die, but they're awake the entire time. Yeah, exactly. Which, you know, it's really interesting when you look at it in terms of the anthropological sense. Yeah, you have to take into consideration that these people have been rooted in this belief system for x amount you know it could be if you go back to africa who knows how long originally but in haiti probably hundreds of years at that point right so if all you grow up with is this belief system and you know zombies exist 
deep down in your roots. Like there's no questioning of it whatsoever. And you have this experience happen to you where somebody manages to pull off simulating death on you with pufferfish's venom mixed in with a bunch of other things. A concoction, yeah. A concoction. Followed up upon coming back to cognizance with the immediate smearing of a different salve on you that would bring across delirium, pain of... It sort of feels like you're on fire, apparently. Some of the side effects of the psychoactive substance found in the paste from the zombie cucumber and a few other things. It's technically a recreate... You can use it as a recreational drug, but it's one of the most unpleasant supposedly ever yeah, i don't know if i'd call it recreation yeah it, it brings on like a state of delirium yeah, exactly. uh, easy suggestiveness memory loss pain a feeling of sort of being like detached somewhat as well along with the pain though truly it sounded like the feeling of like being in hell yeah so if your entire belief system is that zombies exist somebody drugs you to death while you're still alive you wake up your own coffin and the first thing upon coming out, you get hit with this... This other dose. <laughs> then why would you not believe that you then became a zombie? Yeah, exactly. You're completely changing your whole dynamic of who you are at that point. And so his point was, zombies exist, but not in a way where we consider them zombies, or that necessarily makes sense to our cultural Western, mindset. yeah. Then that makes, I mean, I completely understand where he's coming from. And if you put a Westerner through the same things without that belief system, it wouldn't happen to them. No, of course not. It's a whole different mindset at that point, too. You know, you're right. You're basing it off of people's experience and their belief system for the most part. I actually ended up writing down a a few of these notes, maybe don't make as much sense when it comes to like zombies and stuff. But I really like the way this guy looks at culture and the way that he feels like culture should be looked at. And I feel like. People should go look into some of his interviews and stuff. He made a lot of awesome points, too, about things like this voodoo culture, Haitian culture, older voodoo culture. He actually was studying down in the Amazon when he got called to do the thing in Haiti, as is shown in this movie, Mm -hmm. and has spent most of his time actually working in the Amazon rather than working in Haiti. Although he's worked (laughs) with many cultures around the world, from what I understood is that the other thing that you kind of have to get over to understand this all is that some of these seemingly more primitive cultures aren't failed attempts at Western culture, that because of their belief systems, they've tried to master different things within this world. And he brought up things like a Polynesian fishermen being able to tell by the feel of the waves hitting their boats whether they're coming off islands or whether they're coming in from weather. And he's like, if you took what Western civilization did to put a man on the moon and put all that study into the ocean, what you'd end up with is basically the knowledge that these Polynesians have of being able to read the waves just from the feel of how they're hitting the boat. You know, that comes along with what we were just kind of explaining, too, is it comes up with experience. It comes with the gained knowledge of a culture that's been around for, you know, a lot longer than most Western culture. I mean, especially here in the States. So we have to take some of those things into consideration. It's really fascinating. Like, Jesus Christ. I'm kind of fascinated by voodoo as well anyway. So, like, this was a really yeah, a good neat, blend. neat blend for me. Fuck, there was one other thing that I was going to touch on before we, like, moved on, too, but... I'm That's a fucking stoned and just went on a big fucking rant, but <laughs> no. But as far as yeah, your warnings now. That's if what you said. It wasn't a big warning about 
the way you can look at things from a Western or just from a different point of view, you don't necessarily have to be Western. It could be parts of the East too to view this differently is that this touches along a lot about social context. You know, it's a whole different social climate. I have one other little story, but this one I might save for the next section because this one's a little bit more touches on to not a personal experience of mine, but right. something that I personally heard from someone that sort of goes into why I like the other thing that really pulled me in, I guess, to this movie and the whole idea of it's hard to set aside that notion of it being somewhat savage and primitive, especially when you hear of some of the shit that goes on in the name of all of it. Because yeah, of course. Like they show in this movie, they use bones and skulls. and That's what they do, bro. If somebody's a bit desperate enough, it's not always ethically how they... Exactly. So there are some taboo subjects that mm. this film deals with. So keep in mind that if you don't like films that are heavy on the social, political commentary, you might be turned off a little bit by this. If you're not familiar with the voodoo culture... If you're not into like dreams and hallucinogens, uh, halluc- yeah, hallucinogens, hallucinogens are a big part of this. If you're not good with the creepy crawlies, whether it be snakes, spiders, scrotum torture, scrotum torture, <laughs> <laughs> there's there's some decent use of blood in this. If you're not, mm-hmm. if you don't like to be claustrophobic. You know, you're going to deal with these subjects in this film. I mean, just like but any not other to the films. point that I just ranted about. This no, is I know far more a just like a horror movie. Yeah, this is a little bit more, I won't say a romanticization of it, but it's a little bit more friendly to modern audiences or just a mainstream audience than it would be if they dealt more into the cultural aspect of it. Yeah, so just keep in mind that this film is from the late 80s. It has aged, in my opinion, pretty well, though. Me too. Yeah. No, I wouldn't necessarily guess this movie was from the 80s. Yeah. I could have put it mid-90s, even. No and doubt. that's only because of, like, I know that Bill Pullman doesn't look like that now. But, but yeah. <laughs> Which is interesting. I was thinking about that, and this and I is nerding out a little bit. But, yeah, he was in his mid-30s mm-hmm. when he got this part. So, <laughs> keep that in mind. This is 30 years later, so he's an older man now. But, anyhow... Those are some of your warnings. We gave you the synopsis. We gave you the people go into making and behind the scenes in front of the camera. I guess with that, we can start squealing. Now let's squeal. God, what's happening to me? God, where am I? Why am I hearing these things? Oh God, what? What's going on? Oh Jesus, come on! Oh my God, what's what's going on? Where where am I? Oh gee, why? Why? Come on, somebody, somebody! Ah, come on, come on, come on! Come on, somebody! Sir, come on, somebody, somebody's there! Somebody's got to be there! I will shock you! Come on, sir! Come on, sir! You must listen to me, sir. I only have one question. How does that make you squeal? So if you made it this far, this is our 89th episode, and now we get to squeal. Yeah, no holds barred. Now we're talking <laughs> about the movie, and yes. we're going to talk about spoilers, as if Voodoo Zombies wasn't already a spoiler. I mean, that's the main takeaway of this. The whole thing is about Voodoo Zombies. Exactly. So it's only the particulars of the plot that... Yeah, exactly. That differ from the novel and what goes into this film. Well, that and the fact that I'm pretty sure that Wade Davis didn't end up getting fucking telepathic powers in the I, end. Yeah, no, I don't think so. <laughs> I'm, I, I'm not. 
I mean, and I'm hoping he didn't get his scrotum nailed. Jesus. No, you know, I actually, didn't... I know that's, I know he didn't because I watched something with, uh, actually, you know what? You were talking about seeing some of the interviews with Wade Davis. Well, I found that Joe Bob Briggs covered this oh. on Monster Vision, and during them showing it on TNT, whether he was interviewing Wes Craven via satellite or someone else did it, and he was just like mocking the questions to, to sync up, mm-hmm. Wes Craven mentioned that that was like his own little caveat that he put in there was the scrotum piercing thing. He's like, it didn't happen to Davis, just something. Well, I actually know. He said that the guy who plays Petru in this film... Okay, yeah, yeah. He said that because when he was living in South Africa, part of the apartheid and all that stuff, he said that he got the role in part because he knew what it was like to become a prisoner of people and being tortured. And he said he saw his dad get hung in front of him and stuff. So he wanted to incorporate what his life experience was from a person who was a captive and then put it into things like, I know how these people act. So anyway, he said that's part of the reason why he put that in there because it was part of that torture shit they did. Mm-hmm. Ooh, so speaking of life experiences and shit, this doesn't have to do necessarily with voodoo zombies, but merely more an account, a very general account, but an account of some of the things that people will stoop to when desperate and with a belief system that encompasses such things. Or at least you can twist it to encompass such things. I don't know enough about it to say that it necessarily has to. You know what I mean? Yeah, I know we've made this disclaimer before. It's like, we're not experts on these subjects, but we're also not ignorant either. So one of my ex-girlfriends was the daughter of a Dominican immigrant. I think she might have been like first generation born in the States on both sides. I can't remember how long her mom's family had been in the States. It might have been one removed over on that side. But I know her dad like grew up in the Dominican Republic, moved to the United States a little bit after some of their own political unrest that happened separate from like the Duvalier stuff in 86 and just over the hill. Yeah. If you know your geography in Haiti. Exactly. Well, we were together when the earthquake hit Haiti back in 2010. Okay. And we were sitting there, and some of the different news reports was coming up, and we were just, like, sort of watching TV, and there wasn't much to watch and shit. And one of the news reports was about children being missing. And especially because I think we were laughing at, like, one of the stupid rescue groups that... I, I might not be getting the details right now, like, whatever it is, eight years later, but... I'm pretty sure there was, like, a Christian rescue group that essentially just, like, kidnapped, like, 500 kids because they didn't do things the right way, something like that. And we were sort of, right? Yeah. Where they call the Catholic Church. <laughs> <laughs> no, but I think we were reading about that That's and scary. sort of laughing about it a little bit, you know, yeah, which may be, maybe a little too soon, but it was just but, more uh, like, yeah. can fucking just knock it off, like... I know what you mean, yeah. Provide the right kind of aid, don't just, like, go snatch up fucking kids, like... Yeah, exactly. It doesn't work that way. <laughs> but, you know, along with the story, they were talking about the numbers of missing children and this and that. And so we were seeing some of that. And she made some comment about, like, oh, that's not the only place they're going. And I was like, what, what are you talking about? And she was like, well, her dad had told her stories when he was growing up in the Dominican Republic. Well, she, well part of her point was, like, people are going to be desperate now. Like, that Haiti, ju- you know, that earthquake just hit a fucking wrecked shit. Yeah, no doubt. In a massive. big, bad way. They were already an impoverished nation, which, if you want to feel really bad about, like, some of the ways that the United States has treated countries in the past, you can read about how we helped keep them an impoverished nation for many, many years. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's sad, man. 
But she's like, even before, like, an earthquake hitting, just under the desperate times of, like, the rule of the Duvaliers. Yeah. Stuff like that. Her dad had told her stories of, every once in a while, some of the towns and villages near the border, kids would go missing when he was growing up. And with such desperate times, that necessarily wasn't the most uncommon thing. But the problem was, or maybe not problem, but the reality of the situation was, every once in a while... Like a week later, they would find the remains of those kids on mountaintops after having obviously been part of some sort of ceremony. Yeah, a ritual of sorts. It's absolutely something that happens, which is kind of weird to think about even today. And and I'm not bringing that up necessarily to demonize anybody. Right, it's just a different way of I mean, I demonize whoever's going to fucking kill a kid. Well, of course. it's, not, it's one of those yeah, things it's not like, like we're condoning it's one of it. those things we're not condoning it but right. it's one of those things where like if you're a true believer well then you can see why why that kind some, of stuff happens especially when you're in yeah, such like you a said, desperate situation. in a desperate situation kind of to glean a little bit into that before we started recording this particular section you know we were talking in part that if you're from a different part of the world and you grew up a certain way in a certain belief system which is a certain structure and you translate yourself into a whole different culture you can't bring your beliefs into their way of life and try to make sense of it, you know. And let's point out that people in desperate situations here in America also do really oh, fucked up yeah. stuff. I think like, humans in it's general. It's desperation yeah. that's causing this, it's not a survival the mode. And Yeah, exactly. It's just there's something innately pressing where, yeah, you're right. You will literally do about anything to get out of that situation. And in this case, because of belief systems and... This is a part of that way of life. It is fucking weird, but, you know, you go back and look at cultures all around the world, and these were no more practices. Yeah. Going to the extreme to survive looks different depending on where you are. Precisely. That's the point. Yeah, exactly. So with that, yeah, we're not condoning those actions, but then again, it helps to make sense of it if you look at it from their perspective. Right. Yeah. That's why I do like some of the history, anthropology, It's just interesting to understand different cultures because we all don't believe the same. We all don't have the same life experiences. It's just a fact. As we also mentioned off mic, this also like touches on things that we have talked about before with like Wendigo psychosis. People who aren't exposed to Wendigo myths don't experience Wendigo psychosis. And that would make sense too. It's in a way, it's hard to be subjective when you're trying to like maybe use ration or you know, the scientific method, it's not going to make sense. And I think in part, this film does a good job of that too. There comes a part where it's hard to use science on things that go a little bit deeper than that, especially when there's a belief system involved. It's not as simple as just data on a piece of paper. I was going to say, so one of the things I definitely understand, especially after listening to Wade Davis talk on why he wouldn't necessarily like this movie. Right, right. Because it does fall back on sort of voodoo being simply evil throughout this movie. And I can see that, exactly. I'm wondering how much, too, because we're getting it from Bill Pullman, Dr. Allen's perspective, as mm-hmm. opposed to, like, looking at it from maybe from Duchamp's, her perspective, mm-hmm. you know? There is something about this movie where it is kind of realizing the point that he makes in his actual speeches where this is all real to them. Exactly. And in the course of this movie, there's never any other reason given other than the supernatural happening. Mm -hmm. They never try to pull it off like, 
this might be happening or that might be happening. Whenever the supernatural is happening, it's always at least given to us, the viewers, as like, no, the supernatural is happening. It's simply a part of this universe. Hey, Trout can go into your fucking visions. Well, yeah, exactly. Then that's what I'm getting at too. Like some of it falls back on like, I mean, I guess to try to make it easy for people to watch and follow it, you know, as a movie, as opposed to maybe like a documentary style, like in right. the Don't want, I mean, we're talking really heavily yeah. about like the actual like real world versus the movie side of this. Yeah. So don't expect any of this from the movie necessarily. No, no, it's just... But, how much you want to look at it from a cultural perspective or like a historical perspective, et cetera, religious, you know, whatever. It doesn't detract from the movie, but it helps you understand a different side of it than what the movie portrays, Mm -hmm. you know? And I I kind of like that too. It's where you can look outside of the frame of what's in the movie itself. And it's like, uh, it goes a little bit deeper than that. I mean, it has to, man. It's not that simple. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's like, I'm going to see this motherfucker get burnt up to a crisp, vanish, and then come out of the wall and attack you. It's like, I don't necessarily think that's what these people believe. I mean, probably some, but not all. But it's just too fantastical to take it as simple as that. Like you said, it's just dark magic. It's the supernatural. Yeah, I mean, I do kind of like that aspect. In some ways, this is a fantasy movie because you're no simply, doubt. it's sorcerers, essentially. Yeah, you have to suspend your, your disbelief a little bit. But, yeah, in reality, it's a whole different ballgame. Let me see. It seemed like there was one other, like, real-world point that I was going to make before we could talk about this movie just a little bit more. But, fuck, I'll bring it up if I remember it. It it must not have been as important as all the rest of that shit. (laughs) So, I guess this leads into the movie a little bit, too. As I started to watch this movie, I realized I'd never seen it before. I've seen it a few times, just not any time recently. Although I did mention that I would consider this one of the lesser Craven works for me, mm-hmm. it also might be one that I would possibly rewatch more often than a couple of the others, partially because I always have been fascinated by voodoo, yeah. no matter how much or little I know of it. Probably more than the average person, but less <laughs> than people who actually know fucking voodoo shit. Yeah, no doubt. Because of that, and because of one other thing, I end up knowing, and it's why I've read quite a bit about Haiti in the past, this is set under the Duvaliers, and I've always really liked the boogeyman in general, and how it's portrayed through different cultures, from like the Mexican Kukui. Like, I'm Mexican-American, but I didn't even grow up in, like, a Kukuya household. Like, I learned that from, like, watching comedians and shit. (laughs) Ooh, like, fucking Bloody Bones fucking raw head the tokolosh from south africa yeah. like i love boogeyman legends and that led me to do a lot of reading about the duvaliers because of the tonton McCall. yeah and it's really cool i was reading a little bit about that as well because that translates out to gunny sack uncle gunny sack yeah. which is basically one of the haitian boogeymen yep steals kids in their sleeps stuffs them into his gunny sack <laughs> eats them in the morning yeah, I wrote that down, too. I was like, wow, that's pretty interesting. So, yeah, they do play into, like, this shadow paramilitary part of the government. Yeah, that's dum dum good. <laughs> Don't fuck around, because they will snatch you up. God, what's the stats? I think they were responsible for the deaths of between, like, thirty to 90,000 Haitians as a personal military force to the Presidents for Life, Papa Doc and Baby Doc. <laughs> Papa Doc explicitly used his connection to voodoo in his rise to power in Haiti and fostered the fact that his personal police force could be identified alongside the cultural boogeyman, even in the way that they dressed and armed themselves. 
really fucked up. Like it played all the way into their legends, made sure that they wore like the straw hats that were included in the legends. Yeah. Armed with a machete. Like it gets back into the psychological aspect of it where you can control people's fears because of that rooted belief in those things in your culture. That makes me wonder too, like a little bit, I know this is a little bit outside the frame, but it makes me wonder a little bit too, like how much these people in power actually believed as opposed to like, yeah, we know this is the aspect of it. We're just going to prey upon you. I mean, it could be both, but it's just kind of interesting that like they're going to play it all the way out. Yeah, I think Papa Doc would do appearances as Baron Samedi. <laughs> like, it was the voodoo was baked through, through and through. Yeah. The Tonton Maku. That's what it eventually came to. They had a couple other names before that, but the basis in their power was when Duvalier came to power, he didn't trust a lot of the military and government officials and had them all killed. He knew that he had to keep those organizations in place, but he still didn't necessarily trust anybody else coming out of those organizations. Yeah. And so then created his own secret police force that was answerable only to him and not a part of the normal military. I know this is getting... Literally really... fucking death squads. This is what happens when dictators come to power. And unfortunately, you do see it a lot in Latin America and South America with the aid of the U.S. But I know that's kind of like a whole different ballgame, but it helps to appreciate the understanding of Haiti in general, like that part of the world. And it's a small little island nation on top of it. Yeah, that's the shit that they've had to put up with. Like, Honestly, anybody outside of that region, man, I mean, it would be a fucking nightmare for a lot of people yeah. to live in those circumstances on the daily. <laughs> And so this movie is set basically like in the month before Baby Doc leaving. Going back into me, realizing I'd never seen this movie, and they're starting to pop in on Haiti. And I'm like, you know, I've done some reading about Haiti, because mm -hmm. like, I dig voodoo, and like, yeah, and I dig boogeyman, and so I've done some reading here or there. Like, I, I realized I didn't know much about this movie, and I'm like, when's it set? And then it showed the billboard, and I'm like, oh, that's Papa Doc and Baby Doc. Like, oh, yeah. things are not going well right now. <laughs> yeah, no, it's literally on the verge of, like, a political upheaval, turmoil. So, I guess, kind of segueing into the film a little bit, of course, this is Wade Davis's book. Some of the things I wrote down about just his little journey into the book was that it was based on the case of Clarivius Narcisse, who was a man who was a zombie for two years. What's the character in this? The character is Christophe Durand. Right. Yeah. So there's a parallel to a certain extent, right? And so with Wade Davis, we already mentioned that he was an anthropologist and a researcher. He investigated the Haitian voodoo, which we've been talking about this whole time, which is basically a syncretic religion, which means that in this film, it kind of spells it out too. It's like these people are 85% Catholic, 110% voodoo. <laughs> Which means that they're incorporating, in this case, Christianity and Catholicism into their culture, but it's so rooted in voodoo that that's going to be the predominant, even though they still, it, it's kind of like borrowing from paganism, mm -hmm. I guess in a, another example, incorporating that into a religion, but because you're so rooted in the former, <laughs> it's going to dominate the new. It's just kind of a unique blend of the both. Which is part of what got me interested in the first place since I was raised Catholic. So Yeah, and likewise, which I want to get into a little bit later on, but along with this, we said that Clairvius, and in this case, Christophe, they were turned into zombies, and I put quote-unquote zombies, not the kind of zombies that Romero made in The Walking Dead, completely different zombie. But I put down the zombification process was a complex interaction of tetrodotoxins, which stuff like the pufferfish and... 
like some of the frogs and shit they have down there. Um, a powerful hallucinogenic plant called the Tura, which is also known as Devil's Trumpet, and a cultural forces of belief. So on top of these things that we know that contain these toxins, in a combination of all of that stuff, their beliefs, the stuff that they feel like controls the outside world. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> it's a completely different zombie movie altogether. Yeah, movie starts off with Pullman in the Amazon. Yeah, which, which I mentioned, Davis does more work down there than in yeah, Haiti. Which I thought was kind of really cool, too. It transitions from, we get the, the backstory of Christophe into Bill Pullman down there. Tripping balls. Oh, that's what I wrote down. All right. I'm glad you said this, because this gets into my like nerd side. So I was like, are they doing ayahuasca and they're just not saying it? Because <laughs> that's the only thing that would make sense. We know he's down in the Amazon somewhere. It doesn't really specify. I think he said maybe the Black River. I was like, all right, ayahuasca. I know a little bit about this because there's an author I like, and his name is Graham Hancock. I started reading stuff about him because he was real big into Egyptology, but later on he started looking at like how mankind became more of a, a creative force through use of hallucinogenics. So one of the books that I would recommend for those who are kind of more curious because it gets into like what we're talking about here, being down in South America, parts of Brazil, etc., where you're dealing with ayahuasca and these spiritual drugs... So the book is called Supernatural. It's like just, it talks about the early caveman experimenting with mushrooms, mm -hmm. <laughs> essentially, and shit like that. But anyway, with ayahuasca, I wrote down that it's an entheogenic substance, which means it's more used for spiritual experiences as opposed to recreational. The type of feelings it elicits tend to be ones that the user would compare to having a religious experience yeah, of some sort or exactly. a spiritual experience, no matter what their background is for the most part. Precisely. Yeah, you don't have to subscribe to a certain religion in order to get a spiritual experience out of this. I am a big fan of salvia, which is also an entheogen. <laughs> That's funny you bring that up. Because there was a time where, I won't say I was experimenting with it, but I had some friends who were experimenting with salvia, divinorum. <laughs> and, you know, it was at the time where, like, some of these weird fucking synthetic drugs were coming out at right, which I've convenience tried a few stores. Of those too. Yeah, I have too. I never, like, trip balls or anything off no. of them. But the thing with the salvia was, like, the few times that I tried it, I just felt like it elevated my high. I never went to like that whole different state of mind, I suppose. I should have went one more dosage up. Me and a couple of my buddies, we got some. We had tried it once before. I can't remember what the strength was that we got the first time because all of us definitely had an experience, but it wasn't necessarily what we thought it would be and what we had heard from other people. Yeah. We wanted to have a little bit more intensive an experience than what we had. So we went and we got a little bit stronger stuff. And me and two of my other buddies were sitting out on the back porch of the place he was living at at the time. Renting a room at that at the time. I don't know why we thought he only had a room. Like, I think four other people lived there. I don't know why we <laughs> thought, like, the back steps was the greatest place to fucking smoke some salvia. But... I mean, far worse out there, but I, you're saying... <laughs> I, know you're I didn't saying. even think about that at the time, but... Yeah. Wow, now, yeah, now that I'm telling this story, like, what the... I could have came here. Like, I That's was living funny. here at this point. Yeah. Anyway. Okay. Whatever, we decided to do it there. And it was the closest. I definitely felt like I was having some sort of, I don't know if I'd necessarily call it spiritual, but it was on the edge. Yeah. It seemed like as I was staring off at the lawn that it was starting to ripple, like a stone was being dropped in it and like gotcha. it was water or something, except yeah. it was kind of continual coming out from a spot. Gotcha. And I felt like it was trying to, I don't know, tell me something. Or I, I don't know, like 
All I know is that it would stop when noise was happening. Yeah. So, and those like other a, two a, were tripping enough that they were making noise. And so I was just like, shut the fuck up, guys. Just like... Yeah, let me focus on this trip. <laughs> like, I just need to focus on this and your noise is fucking me up. Yeah. But it wasn't unpleasant. Like I know what you're saying. It just... It was on... The, I would say that it was on the strong. verge of feeling absolutely huh. spiritual, though. That's interesting. Like, a few of my friends, I won't mention them by name, but they know who they are. Is the few times like that we were smoking salvia or whatever. Now I witnessed two of my friends like get blasted off into like it was like a different realm for them I suppose. But you know from the outside looking in, I'm like, how much is this theatrical or like are they really experiencing this too? It's like I'm gonna have to air with the side. Like I've seen <laughs> I've seen them fucked up, but I don't know if I've ever seen them that fucked up where they're crawling mm-hmm. around on the floor and like putting the ears of the speakers and shit. It's like all right. But it didn't really last long, like a 10, 15 minute trip or something like that. And then the body high lasts a little longer after that. Yeah. I was like, I mostly got more of the body high. Like just, I just felt like it was, I'm high, but then I got a little bit higher. (laughs) You know what I mean? Apparently. So that same one where I thought the lawn was trying to tell me something, because that's the best way to sum it up. Yeah. One of my buddies, I was making noise. I was fucking up my trip. (laughs) He looked over. He didn't think he was tripping. And then he, he recounted to us later that he looked over at the side of the house and then as he looked back over towards us, the wall, the side of the house just kept going and we became oh, part of the wall. And it was like he was walled in and we were just part of the walls around him. Wow. <laughs> well, I'd say that's the kind of the fun thing and the interesting thing is how much effect it has on you, I guess, based off of your own personal views. And Yeah, it's kind of interesting, but... Anyway, uh, entheogens. Yeah, exactly. Uh, now that we're off <laughs> on that tangent. <laughs> but no, what I wrote down too is that there's a combination with ayahuasca of vines and roots and things like that. Now ayahuasca it does have a scientific name i'm going to try to pull it off it's also known as the banisteriopsis copy like it's also known as ayahuasca but it contains several alkaloids that have the maois which are those monamine oxidase inhibitors which for people who have like social or anxiety problems or just depression it's supposed to help ease those symptoms or at least the way that you experience that and a part of it, and the reason why, is because along with the ayahuasca, if you have combinations of things such as the shrub Psychotroya viridis, it contains the primary psychoactive compound DMT, the dimethyltryptamine. So what I wrote down with that is typically... So what you're saying is we should go do some drugs. Oh, yeah. I'm not right now. <laughs> Jesus. So with DMT for people who experience it, which I haven't, I haven't had the, the pleasure yet, but... From what I understand, especially with the ayahuasca, because it's more or less like a tea and it's the sensations that you get, of course, it's that vomiting because you're releasing the toxin to activate the psychoactive properties. But what happens typically, from what I understand, is during your experiences with it is that you generally get like a spirit guide in the form of an animal. And with places of South America, specifically the Amazon, if you're doing them down there, some of the things that you might encounter are like jaguars, snakes, leopards, frogs, and lizards. Now, I was talking about Graham Hancock. He mentions his journey down there with Peruvian shamans. One of them, this guy's name is Pablo Amaringo. Now, he is an artist too, but he draws everything he experiences on his trips. I'd say if you want to check out some fucking wild art with the use of ayahuasca, check out Amaringo. But he talks about the jaguar and the snakes, the serpents, and mm-hmm. his experiences. So it was kind of neat seeing this film incorporating the jaguar. It's a little different because of his wrestling match or his tickling match with it. I was like, oh, man, that was too funny. <laughs> that was a little much. 
Oh my god! So during that part of the movie, oh, when he was so on funny. that, when he went on his little spirit journey, yeah, I had two sort of feelings about that part. I was both like, "Yeah, like way to go, movie! Have your fucking..." I mean, I would be hella fun. Have your main character tripping balls right off the bat in this movie, yeah, and make it a good thing, and make it obviously be set up for what's going to help him later. Yeah, yeah, it's foreshadowing for sure. And then I also went, "Fuck you, movie, for making your <laughs> foreshadowing so fucking obvious." Yeah, I was super obvious especially what we do you know we can't help but point that out super fuck you i was like yeah (laughs) but i still thought it was really cool it's like oh you know just reading and learning a little bit about these spiritual experiences it's played out right in front of you and we get to see it too like the shaman's in the background watching him it looks like it's playful he's having a great time but then it gets a little dark too because you get this dark wind that comes in and you get fucking... Yeah, man. You get Petru that comes out under the guise of the shaman. That was dope. That was kind of creepy. I like really that. liked yeah. that, man. But what I laughed at watching it the first time around was the nut grab and him get pulled down. Oh, my God. <laughs> Dude, there's so much fucking violence done to nuts in this movie. I A noticed lot. that, too. I fucking laughed that I was like, hard Holy at that, shit. too. He I was like, grabbed his junk. <laughs> Dude, I paused it. I was like, did he just grab his junk? Yeah, like, pulled him down. That part alone is like, what the fuck? And then it gets even more what the fuck because it, it becomes Some a little more Some extra just really wanted to yeah. feel up Pullman. And <laughs> well, that ended up being the you, best man. take. I'll pull you, man. <laughs> yeah, they like, wanted him to look surprised and they just gave the whoop. <laughs> <laughs> Got him. <laughs> they didn't tell him it was going to happen. So Yeah, <laughs> man. I mean, he totally gooched the shit out of him on that one. <laughs> Pulling him down. But I like that. It's a clear example of foreshadowing. But it's done in a really cool, creative artistic way too yeah and then after that you know we get into like the story of that bio core they bring him back to boston they want him to go down to haiti because they think okay well we know this guy it was a zombie we want you to go down there and find out what drug combination of drugs caused this because they want to develop a drug that's like a super anesthetic because of how many people here in the state. And Die then from anesthetic right, shock. Exactly. But I'm thinking, God damn, 1988, 50,000 people were dying because of anesthetics. Get your shit together. 88. That's a lot. 88, I'm pretty sure 50,000 people were dying more of AIDS. Well, yeah, yeah, yeah. No doubt. But I'm just like, it could be just a basic general operation that people are dying, not because of the surgery, it's because of the freaking anesthetics. Mm-hmm. It's like, that's a scary number, 1988. <laughs> But the whole point, yeah, of him going down there is because they want him to get the zombie drugs, quote-unquote zombie drugs. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and then, then, you know, we find out about what really happened to Christophe Durand, which I like that, too. When they actually go into the cemetery, they run into those grave robbers. So, do you think it was really necessary to put the sort of corporate angle behind it? It feels a little weird. I feel like I know when you know saying. enough about what he's trying to learn about, like that's compelling in and yeah, of itself. Enough. Exactly. I think what maybe drives home the point, maybe from Wes Craven's standpoint, I'm just kind of throwing my own, I mean, how much, I don't know. But I feel like maybe he used the corporate umbrella to show like how much the West and specifically America has in like these parts of the world. Like we're going to exploit them. So, you right. know, like something that gets get more into like a social commentary. Had it been just Wade going down there or Dr. Allen going down there for scientific research, it would have been a different thing. But under the guise of a corporation, yeah, I think that's more social commentary. So technically, I think we skipped over the fact that it starts off with Durand dying yeah. and being brought back. See, the thing is, I feel like you could just axe 
the corporate storyline. You can. And focus more on the fact that this guy supposedly is a zombie and that being a big enough mystery to yeah. bring it in. Yeah, exactly. Which might even up the thriller aspect of it even a little bit more. Right. Like, this is an independent guy going down there, which I think was what the original intent was anyway, uh, you know, with Wade, compared to Dr. Allen. Yeah. I know what you're saying with that. I mean, or not, not American. Sense. He is Canadian, but... But you know what? Yeah. He's West, yeah. Mm -hmm. But regardless, you're right. Yeah. I think it would make for a more thrilling, more spooky... Now you're really claustrophobic. You don't even have the corporate business no. interest behind you. You're yeah. down there you don't purely have the for the sake of intellectualism. Not necessarily that this film needs a remake, but I think you're right. It would make for maybe a little bit more of a thriller. I don't, want, I don't want to say lot. that it bugged me, but it was just something that I sort of noticed as the movie went on. I was just like, the only thing that the corporate part adds is Pullman also having to prove that he's down there. He doesn't even prove it in any way. He doesn't do anything to prove it. He just has a few lines of dialogue about how ultimately he wants this to help people. I know what you're saying. And but that's... the people he's trying to help are the people at home rather than... The people in Haiti. Right. Yeah, exactly. And that's what I mean. I wonder how much of that's more of a... A social statement. Yeah, because knowing some of the films we've covered with Wes Craven, he likes True. to use that. And that's why I was... I think that for him... His storytelling, I think he likes to make those more social commentaries known in his film. Which, you know, it can detract a little bit. I'm not going to lie about that. All right, so what I was going to say is I like how he actually learns that Christoph Durand really was a zombie, you know? Mm -hmm. Runs into him in the cemetery. That's enough proof to like, all right, going to delve into it a little bit more. Yeah, and so from that point, it starts kicking off with Petro because he knows he's up to no good. I liked the showdown of the sorcerers in a way in the nightclub. <laughs> yeah. Where fucking I can't remember any of their names, but where oh, where Petrod, because he's a Bokor yeah, himself, yeah. not just the other guy that he met up with. I can't remember his name. He's the one that was Oh Is that is that Lucien? Yeah, it's Lucien. Yeah. yeah. When he meets up with Lucien at his nightclub, I dug like Petroud like fucking with the scene there mm -hmm. by being like, Hey, I'm a Bokor too, bitch. And, like I like that, dude. You're right. That scene of them in that square, from what I understand, like, that wasn't just like a thing that was choreographed. They were actually in a festival. Yeah, I was going to say, so throughout the years, you know, watching different documentaries on voodoo and, you know, different footage, this and that, like, yeah. I've seen the ember eating and shit before. It's like, fucked up. They grab a cool. lot. <laughs> That's a lot of embers. Like, yeah, I'm not doing that, but... No, fuck that. Like, that was cool, because I can't think of another film where I've seen somebody do that. Yeah, and so I was just like, oh, that's cool. That's, like, right on. And then they're like, Urzuli, and I'm like, oh, God is love. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I was like, ooh, I like that. Yeah, exactly. Oh, so that's my next question. Yeah. I can't remember. What was her name? Marielle. Marielle, yeah. Yeah. Do you think Marielle was riding him, or do you think... She was being ridden by Urzuli in riding him. Ooh, good point. I'm going to say yes. <laughs> <laughs> but no, no, no. I think you're right. Yeah. You could definitely tell that. A, yes, because... She kind of looked like she had that look in her eyes, right? Yeah, like yeah. Like she was still being ridden? Yes, yes. Even though she was doing the riding? Yeah, yeah. I know what you're I saying. Mean, yeah. <laughs> I know you're saying. I know exactly what you're saying. She was possessed by the love goddess... And they were fucking. But yeah, she had that look in her eye. And it even had that, like, that last little, uh, that O face. And then the, the frame where she looks like, is she possessed? Mm -hmm. Probably. <laughs> Either way, Bill Pullman got some. 
I noticed during the funeral, I love that the guy was dressed as Baron Samedi because I was yeah. like, oh, he's a psychopomp, so that makes sense. Yeah, dude. All that stuff was good, man. There's a lot of things I liked about how they show like them actually making the drug, going through that process. What happens to Bill Pullman when, like what you were saying, like, all right, he's going into the shallow grave. After he comes up out of it, too, he gets that shit blown right back in his face. It sends him into like this dead state and into delirium, and now he's being controlled. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What I'm kind of curious too is like how Petro at the beginning of the film, how there's even that connection. Oh, the almost prophesying that it's going to happen. Yeah, exactly. Before it even happens. Mm-hmm. You could argue that that might have been his spirit guide trying to look out for him. Yeah, you're probably right with that. Because of what was During supposed the, to be yeah. happening in that scene. Yeah, okay. I can totally see that from that perspective. It didn't seem like a warning, but it should have been taken as a warning. Right. You know? It's another one of those foreshadowings, like his spirit guide is telling him. I mean, it's a big time tip off for us. We know Whoa, that Pe- no as doubt. soon as Petro comes on scene, we know. That's the dude. Right. <laughs> That's the bad guy. If you've read about Haiti, as soon as Petro starts talking, you realize his character is supposed to be a mix of Duvalier himself mm-hmm. with, oh, I can't remember his name, but the head of the Tonton Maku. Yeah, dude. His portrayal of like the boogeyman in this, the bad guy, I thought was really good. Like, yeah. He did a really good job. Lucian's character did a really good job. We talked about the guy who played Mozart in this. Did uh, really Brett good Jennings job. did a great job, I thought. There was some great chemistry there, and I thought he was a fucking hoot. Like when yeah. he was on, he was a great con man. Yeah. <laughs> oh my gosh, it was he. I wrote down something. I think it owes to a figure in the corner, but I wrote down there was a scene where Bill Pullman's character he meets him and he wants the drug, and he gives Baby Black Philip <laughs> the powder, mm-hmm. and he eats it, and then you know he marks the hoof for later on and all that stuff. I like that. That's pretty clever because, yeah, of course, it comes back around and he pulls the sleight of hand trick on him. It's like all that stuff is pretty good because it's another one of those things. It shows. Did that come back up ever? Like, I was really hoping that he was going to end up using the sleight of hand again. I don't think he ever did. And not like it necessarily needed to be played out again, but I kind of thought it was going to once it sort of showed that he had that ability exactly you know and i wonder too how much of that is like a metaphor for things as well like the mm-hmm. sleight of hand yeah i thought that was really cool because then you know that's how he lures him into the fact that all right i know your game show me how this shit gets made and then all that stuff gets played out i also wonder how much of that might be a reflection of the fact that like because this is still something that hasn't been looked into that much, mm-hmm. probably partially because of like political situations and everything about Haiti, basically. Yeah. But the times, you know, where I've watched documentaries and shit, where film crews have gone down there and try to seek out these different people and talk to these different things, it's usually kind of apparent that most of them are con men. And th- I'm wondering yeah. if that's commenting on that. It, but, it probably could be. But beyond that, I'm wondering how much truth used to be there because. You end up with stories like, I mean, out in the American Old West, you have, you know, the story of the snake oil salesman. Oh, yeah. Right? That's huge here. A snake oil salesman's a fucking con man. Yeah, exactly. But you go into the stories on where the snake oil salesman came from and why selling snake oil worked, and you realize that the original snake oil salesmen were the Chinese immigrants, and the snakes that they were using had a substance in it where the oil would have acted as an anti-inflammatory. So it would yeah. have helped your, your joint aches right. and pains. How there was some actual positive out of something that became negative after a while. Yeah, but there was a truth there yeah. to begin with. 
And like we said, the samples he brought back of the powders didn't have anything enough to be active. But if one in a thousand Bokors actually made it work, then that's enough for the story to start right there. Yeah, I see what you mean. That's enough to where it's like, okay, this is legit. Yeah, to an extent. Mm -hmm. But enough to garner this belief. One thing I want to mention too in this is that use of the sorceress. It's kind of an iconic figure in this film. (laughs) You know, if you look at like some of the box art and all that stuff for its release. But it's like, that was kind of neat because in one sense, I think you feel like she's a negative thing in this film. Or at least initially it seems like that. You know, she's a scary thing. We don't know what the fuck she is other than it looks like a corpse bride. Yeah. But later on we find out, or at least in my opinion on it, was that she was actually helping him because she was trapped. Right. It's like, that's kind of interesting, man. Because every time you see her in this film, it seems like something's big about to happen. Usually not good. Anyhow, I, I just like that. Like, because that's the part with the snake coming out of the mouth that was really cool. Mm-hmm. Two people I did want to mention that were on this because we've mentioned them before. So father and son duo, the special makeup effects was done by Lance and David Anderson. Oh, cool. And I want to say it's Lance. I could be wrong. But one of them is married to Heather Langenkamp. Oh, okay. Yeah. 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 Which would make sense because this is a Wes Craven film. <laughs> so yeah, he's using them. But I listened to one of them talk about how they pulled that off with like the jaw coming down and then the snake coming out. They said they were using a real python. But what they did was put like the sock puppet over its head. And what Bill Pullman did is, like, once they got it to shoot out, it was just basic mechanical. But they used the real one, put the sock on it. He grabbed the snake, mm-hmm. I guess, around its, its jaw and forced it onto him to make it look like he was getting bitten. You know, they talked about that. And just the use of the jaguar itself. Mm-hmm. I mean, all these animals and creatures that were used were tamed. So, you know, it's like, I don't think he would want to be in there with a tarantula in a coffin by himself. That would not be fun. That's possibly one of the best sequences in the entire movie. That was movie. really well shot. Because by the time that all happens, they've laid it out very explicitly for you that when all this happens, he's going to be very much aware of exactly what's happening. All of it. And he's trying to tell people. <laughs> and even if they cared, there's no way that they're going to step up no. and challenge. Because they know who's doing it is probably Petrode. Yeah, and exactly. if it's not Petrode, it's another Bokor. They're not going to fuck with this shit. They're going to let it happen. They're going to try to make sure not to get the zombie dust on them. I guess with the Bokor is the same thing in a wider sense, like a warlock. Yeah, sorcerer or something. Yeah. 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 But yeah, you're not going to fuck with them. Rather than just a normal priest, a Hongan. More like Lucien was. Yeah, I was going to say, somebody who doesn't use it for like these nefarious reasons. Be saying that wrong, but who knows. But it's okay. I know. Yeah. (laughs) We know what we try to say. Mm -hmm. I did like that. There was this political struggle. There was a spiritual struggle in this country. One thing that I thought was really awesome that they used to was that pilgrimage they made into the waterfall. Now, I did read that Davis did say that was pretty accurate, you know, when he had his travels down there. So with that pilgrimage, and I wrote down, I was kind of curious about it. So what it is, is that they go to, it's called Sadao, which means waterfall in French. So what they do is there's a place, I can't remember the exact name of the place, but it's this lake that has this huge waterfall, like a hundred foot waterfall, and it's very sacred. So they make this pilgrimage. The reason that we saw the Virgin Mary, because Erzili is the spirit god of love, and it's closely associated with the Virgin Mary. So that's why it was easy to incorporate that, and that's why they made that pilgrimage. But anyway, there's a 19th century legend, which is like in the 1800s. Apparently there was like an earthquake down there. 
And what happened was the locals, or at least the natives, said that the Virgin Mary appeared in that waterfall at that time. So that's why they make that pilgrimage. And it's supposed to give them blessings and just kind of get rid of some of the anxiety that you might have and just pretty much just kind of, like I said, a cleansing of sorts. So I thought that was kind of neat that they incorporated that because the use of candles is very accurate. That whole procession was really cool. Yeah. I mean, a good portion of the filming took place in Haiti, but then political unrest forced oh, them to yeah. move into the Dominican Republic. But the on-location shooting pays off in this movie. It certainly does. I was thinking about that, too. Like, how hard it would be to recreate certain things like that in modern film. It's like, that would be damn near impossible now. Mm-hmm. Not only because of the, the times are different, but just how much things change over time. Like, you would not probably get the same effect that this happened. This was, like, super authentic because most of the people who were extras, they were Haitians. You know, it just so happened to be there. And Wes Craven made mention that whenever they filmed, it was like everybody and their fucking cousin would show up. Mm-hmm. And it became up to a point where they would agree to a certain fee to be an extra, and then they would want to double and triple and all that stuff. And that's where some of that unrest came from, along with the political thing, like... He said they shot down in Haiti for like 11 days, and then it just got to the point where it's like, we, we got to get out of here. Mm-hmm. Otherwise, it's going to get bad. And yeah, they went to the Dominican Republic. They also shot in Boston. Boston, of course. Yeah. yeah. So that's your three major places. But it's just like, man, that was good, man. Because we do get a glimpse of a world that we talked about voodoo. And when I think of voodoo, typically it's like New Orleans voodoo. Yeah. But this is completely different. This is like super legit. <laughs> You know, whereas down there, it's not that it's not legit, but I feel like some of it's a little bit more westernized, if that makes sense. Like some of our culture seeped into that. Right. So it's kind of watered it down, whereas that's still kind of more intact. Yeah. Yeah. Completely different is what I'm getting at. It's intense. Yeah. Not that South Carolina has it, but there's certain pockets of the East Coast that still have, you know, people who came over from parts of Sub-Saharan Africa because of the slave trade and shit like that that they still hold on to African beliefs and culture and things like that, which is really cool because I think it's the Gullah Gullah on the coast of South Carolina. I mean, that's, <laughs> you're getting something that, Gullah Gullah yeah. Island. You know, it's, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but it's also like, you know, here in the States, especially where I grew up, not that I know much about it, but it's still like, man, that's a part of a culture, a part of a way of life that's almost diminished in a sense, like, Unless you go into Africa where all that stuff's still practiced. It's kind of a dying thing here in the States, in a sense, you know? So it's kind of neat to glean some of that and be respectful of it. You don't have to subscribe to it. But you can gain some knowledge and the reasons why people believe the way they believe. I mean, honestly, there's some other cool things in this movie that we can probably talk about too. But I think the facts. I think one of the great, best things yeah. for this movie was it was an awesome starting off point to start looking at all this shit again yeah. and being like, oh, I want to hear about, you know what this guy's experience was. Yeah, no doubt. Because I know it wasn't this movie, obviously, because no, he obviously no, no. doesn't gain fucking psychic powers at the end. <laughs> I mean, um, I would hope he would, but nah, chances are highly unlikely. Um, but then it just got me reading about all this shit that I like again. Yeah. And so I kind of, like, really glad we did it because of that, just because it's been really enjoyable. Yeah. A couple afternoons just thinking about voodoo and shit again. But I was thinking that, too. I was like, I don't know a whole hell of a lot about voodoo, but... And voodoo zombies. Yeah, again. yeah, exactly. So you're tying these two horror things into one, and you're getting a little bit more of a historical background in it as opposed to just a fictionalized version of it. Yeah, I mean, and this is one of the few movies I can think of. That yeah. makes you want to, like, explore a little bit more outside. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And they use voodoo zombies. 
Dude, it's good. It's fucking good. I like that use too. It's like, it's a completely different zombie. We mentioned several times than what you would typically expect, like the walking dead, so to speak. I mean, yes, it still is in a certain context as the walking dead, but not the way I think most people Mm -mm. think of dead. So fucking Lucien pulling his head off was dope. Yeah, let's see the practical effects in this are really good. Although I laughed really well, I laughed really hard at it partially because it was somebody pulling their own head off. Well, yeah, I mean, <laughs> yeah, no doubt. But secondly, oh my god, this is gonna make me sound like a terrible person. But there was, I ran into this online. I didn't make this okay. up myself. But when I was in college, I ran into this. God, I don't even remember how. It was on some message board. It might have been on 4chan. <laughs> I used to lurk 4chan before it got took over by the alt right. Whoops. Back when it was just a bunch of assholes. Yeah. Anyway. But it was just like a list of really dark, humorous ways to commit suicide. Yeah. And the one that I always remembered was called The Awesome. I don't know if I know that. (laughs) And it was, you go to a building, like you're going to jump off, and you make yourself a noose of cheese wire, (laughs) and then super glue your hands to the sides of your head. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) And wait for it to dry. And that way, when you jump off the building... And the cheese wire cuts through your neck. Whoever finds you, it looks like you pulled your head off. <laughs> That's funny. I mean, yes, and that was not funny, but yeah, I know what you're saying. <laughs> and the reason I always remembered it, because then they expounded upon the fact that, like, you can do this as a group suicide and do, like, the double awesome where you're holding <laughs> each other's heads. <laughs> you're ripping each other's heads off. That's pretty funny. Or, like, a triple where it's just, like... And you like can't form a triangle with people. <laughs> That's fucked up. That's very funny though. Yeah. See. So I always remember that. And as soon as he started to do that, <laughs> I was like, "Oh my god, the awesome!" Uh, like, I mean, if you're going to, I mean, that, like I said, we don't condone it. So throw that out there. We don't condone suicide. No, we don't. If you're having suicidal thoughts, please Seek help. Yeah, please do something. But in a fucked up comical universe, <laughs> it's like that would be kind of funny to see like a mass suicide of that. <laughs> This is going to be awesome. <laughs> uh, just on film. Just on film for fun. For... Yeah. Somebody put that into a horror movie. <laughs> that would be fucking hilarious. But in real world, no, it wouldn't be. But all right. So outside of that, man, you're right. This was a fun film to rediscover again. It's one of those Wes Craven films. I feel like not that it gets skipped over, but it's not one that generally gets discussed a lot when you consider some of his other filmography. But I still think this is a really good fucking film, man. You're right for those reasons we've delved into for an hour plus long after we've been doing this now. But yeah, it makes me appreciate this film a little bit more in terms of his filmography. I mean, we consider yeah. four years prior, it was A Nightmare on Elm Street. Exactly. This is a completely different it's film. Just a completely... Way different beast. Yeah. Well, a little bit. No, no. A I, bit of, there's a little bit of dream fuckery. No, I was going to say, I think. There's dream fuckery there. There certainly is. Like, it makes me wonder, too, like, how much. Of, I mean, yeah, there's a huge influence, I'd imagine, but he still, I feel like in maybe in his life, he was still exploring that subject of like, you know, what happens in your dream states and the influence that these outside influences have on you. It's really cool. Kind of like how we see Stephen King do the same thing, doing yeah. like Christine only to be followed by Maximum Overdrive. <laughs> <laughs> Just can't get enough can't of get uh, those, cars, those killer cars. Yeah, exactly. That's how funny. he continually repeats things as well until he gets it right. Yeah. It's not wrong with experimenting. <laughs> no, I can see that, though. I mean, there's a 
He's There's a connective thread there. It certainly is. And if that's not a big enough connecting thread, there's, I think, in my opinion, this is probably the biggest nod to him doing A Nightmare on Elm Street is that scene where Bill Pullman's going through, it looks like that underground prison. Okay, yeah. And the arms are coming out. Oh, it's like, yeah. That's like Freddy. The super long. Yeah. yeah. It's like, if that's not Freddy, I don't know the what Super it is. fake. Long arms. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Which is still good. It even goes Which, into... I dug it. It was cool. It, he didn't it overdo it. It was going. Yeah, exactly. On. The effects were good enough. And that leads into the whole awesome... He gets tripped out more and more as it goes on. Yeah. Like I said before, and I meant to bring this up earlier, and then we went off on a lot of tangents, ah, okay. but we're uh, since I realized that I hadn't seen this before, I was wondering if this was going to be a movie where he realized early enough that his visions were warning him about things that he was going to actively try to change the future. Mm, but point. that wasn't really the case. He got yeah. kind of zombied. Kind of zombied. <laughs> which we talked about. Fuck, that's really good when he was the pitch black. Oh, man. I was thinking that would have been a really cool Fucking experience the in the theater. Yeah. Oh, my God. Which is dark the same and he's thing. screaming. And you would feel that, hey, Roxy. that helplessness. Hey, Roxy. Yeah. There's a perfect one for the Roxy. Hey, Roxy. Serpent in the Rainbow. Yeah. At Roxy Theater. Serpent in the Rainbow. I'll talk to Ian. <laughs> We're going to talk to our homeboy Ian. We're going to do this. Roxy. <laughs> That'd be a perfect one. I think so, man. But On yeah. a night that I can attend. <laughs> I had to do it like a... Unlike everything else I want Jesus. to go to there. Yeah, I mean, they have a great selection. I know we're during that. They have an amazing them. selection, but most of the time... I, like, during I, working I hours. I can't... Yeah, I can't yeah. justify like Missing requesting time. a day yeah. off just for... Man, I know what you're saying. It is tough, Just for crybaby. <laughs> like... Uh. One I missed out on, all I missed out on, one I checked out but missed workout on was because we went and seen Raw. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that was... I did I did request to get out an hour early that day so I could go, but... but uh, yeah, that was a good one. I'm glad we did that. But anyhow... I might do that for Mandy. <sighs> all right. All right, so yeah, I'm glad we revisited this one for very many reasons. It makes me think things wait, outside wait, wait. the box. We, we can't skip over how fucking silly that end is. Oh, oh. It is. I think that's the weakest point in this film. If there is a weak point, that's oh, totally my. the weakest one. It's like, I, I know you have to wrap oh, it up. Oh, you have to show me the Jaguar. <laughs> oh, Jesus Christ. Uh, yeah. It's like, I understand him smashing those uh, containers to release the souls and all that good stuff. Yeah. And seeing that, I was like, all right, it's over. But then it wasn't over because that chair is still moving around and the sorceress is still pointing. I kind of liked the chair and shit moving around. Because that was set up earlier that the final battle was going to be in the mind. And once yeah, that no entire doubt. sequence is over, I mean, it makes sense. Yeah. you find out that... That was in his mind. And it was almost kind of him confronting what had just happened to him because it, was, yeah, that's a good it point. was triggered by him seeing the instrument of his torture. You know, that's a good point. Too. That's another huge foreshadowing. I think I liked more so... that a lot more than what had happened just three minutes before. <laughs> yeah. No, I, I know what you're saying. There is a resolution. He confronts all those things. The coffin, he's opening the instruments of his torture, the chair, yeah, of course. But some of it is uh, still a little silly. Yeah. yeah. Oh, no, 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 no. Yeah. It was still a little silly. Yeah. But I still think that's it's okay because the rest of the film is like fucking solid as shit. Yeah. Those three minutes, I can look past that. It's not a big deal. But yeah, it's a little silly. <laughs> yeah. This movie is utterly watchable, like, yeah. right now. I was going to say, like, it seems like you could remake this, but I don't know why. Yeah, I don't think you would have to. I Just mean, watch this. It's great. Oh, 
one thing I do want to mention, I wonder how much of it is a nod too to Cannibal Holocaust in this film, whereas there's a scene with Bill Pullman in the beginning where he's running through the woods and it almost looks like a gorilla style shot of him running through oh. some of the vegetation. Mm-hmm. It's like that, I kind of like that, but that's just, I don't know if it's Wes or I don't know if it's Lindley, but I still feel like, yeah, that's pretty, I like it. It almost feels gorilla. Yeah. I mean, I dug this movie. Like yeah. I said, I'd probably rewatch it again just for the whole aesthetic and how much I'm already into that. Shit. Yeah, I mean, so, I, I'm not opposed to rewatching it. That might not be your thing. I completely understand. This movie might not be your thing. Honestly, at this point, if you're still listening to me fucking talk after <laughs> I've nerded out over like very non-educated anthropology points, and well, we made, we made that disclaimer. We're, we're no experts, but we're not ignorant either of the subject. If you're still listening to me after all that shit, I. Just just kind of want to thank you yeah right now anyway yeah we kind of went off on huge tangents but it was fun i mean it's still relative to the show it's still relative to this movie in general it's just it's a huge topic it's a huge sandwich to devour yeah a lot of this segment ends up being what this movie made us experience and what yeah. it made me experience was a swath of just like throwing myself into as much of the information from history as I could. So. Yeah, likewise. I gleaned a lot of information we talked about. I learned what a little bit more about Haiti in itself, some of its belief systems, paramilitary thing. Uh, was it Tonton Makut? Mm-hmm. It's like, man, that's a boogeyman for real. It's just, it's really cool, 30 man. to 90,000 That is fucking insane, man. But I can still understand it because of what happens in regions like that in the world when you have dictators taking advantage of... The yeah, plight of the people. Exactly, man. And it, it's sad, but it's a dark and true reality all over the world, unfortunately. But for those who do like those subjects, highly recommend this film. It's a great alternative to like maybe some of the more mainstream Wes Craven films. It's definitely a great alternative to the fact that every other zombie movie out there these oh, days man. is a Romero-type zombie. Exactly. You're right. It's a completely different zombie. That's a little bit of a breath of fresh air because there's been a lot of zombie stuff lately. Jesus. Are you not shit neither? Yeah. So this is a good alternative to what most people would view a zombie as. Yeah. Totally agree. And it's a little bit more on the historical standpoint too. And maybe. Maybe we made you think a little bit. I would hope so. (laughs) And if not, at least you got to hear us ramble. (laughs) So I had fun, man. Like I said, everything about this film... I really enjoyed. It has high rewatchable value. Not that I'm going to watch it continuously throughout the year, but I'd watch it at least once or twice more. Yeah, I don't think we're going to be able to watch it continuously throughout the year, though, because we have another another movie to bring to you next week that we haven't decided. We don't know yet. yet. Ooh, it's a goodie. We know some others that are coming up. We do. uh, We can reserve those. Not yet. This is for next week, so... We're going to go decide that. In the meantime, we would very much appreciate it if you hit subscribe... Or add to your list or however to keep, you know, listening to us on however you're listening to us right now. We should be available wherever podcasts are found, except I don't think we're on Spotify now that Spotify has podcasts. Not yet. We're going to work on that. But everywhere else that podcasts are found, we're there. Yeah, we're there. At least nobody's told us we're not. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, You can always go to our website, www.friedsquirms.com. You can contact us on the contact form on our website. Or hit us up, squirmcast at gmail.com. 
Twitter yeah. is at Fried Squirms, Facebook Fried Squirms, and Fried Squirms Podcast for the Insta. Yeah, like so we we still like to do all the social media things. If you have or recommendations, yeah, I mean on occasion we do, of course. We're old men. Yeah, we have work and other shit we do too. But if you want to give us recommendations, film suggestions, if you just want to drop in and say hi, we're we always, always up for that. It. Yeah, we love hearing from you. All of you. Especially the ones we've already heard from, because you guys have given us great suggestions in the yeah. past, so keep it up. I want to say every single one of the suggestions, recommendations that we've had have been great. There was a recommendation that we got that we weren't sure if it was horror enough. I think if we did Ichi the Killer, I think that that other recommendation is good enough, and we'll talk about that here in a minute. I know we do like to, you know, lean a little bit on the borders, but yeah, we'll see. Okay. We're going to go talk about that. That's probably not going to be next week anyway, but anyway, we're going to go talk about movies. Yeah. Like we've already been doing, but fuck you guys. You guys don't <laughs> get to hear this shit. No, uh, thank you for listening. We still love you. Fried Squirms, out. out.